Thank you for pressing play on the latest edition of the Michigan Soccer Central Podcast, your weekly dip into the world's game being played right here in the Great Lakes state of Michigan. How's it going? My name's Robert Kerr, your host as always on the program. Uh, So much news to uh, cover this week. It was uh, pretty action-packed. Good news and bad. I suggest everybody check out at MI Soccer Central on uh, all the social media platforms and have a scroll through there because there's an incredible amount of news uh, happened uh, throughout this past week since you last joined me. Uh, Detroit City FC won on the road, uh, beating Loudon with a uh, hat trick from Maxi Rodriguez. Uh, there was sad news of the passing of Flint City Bucks player from this last summer, Eugene Quaynor, in a tragic uh, car accident. Um, there was expansion news in a couple different leagues as well. Uh, just uh, the other day, uh, Michigan Futsal Factory was announced to be the first expansion team of uh, 2023 in the Midwest Premier League. Um, that is a, a, a big change for them. Obviously, futsal side venturing out into the indoor summer league game. And then just today, uh, the newest indoor soccer league, MLIS. Uh, we talked to Rapid City founder Lewis Stevens a couple weeks ago. And then just today, it was announced that Waza Flow will be stepping back into the professional indoor world in the MLIS. Uh, High school soccer is getting to the business end of the regular season. And we want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to this week's Michigan Soccer Central. We are soccer team of the week, Wald Lake Northern Knights. Congratulations to you boys. You are this week's team of the week. You've had an outstanding run collecting a lot of silverware in your local rivalries. But this last, uh, I think it was Monday night, uh, early this week, you won the LVC Tournament Championship, avenging your only loss of the year, beating South Lion 3-2. to two, So collecting some more silverware there, back-to-back years winning the LVC tournament, and that should give them at least a case to jump back into the coaches' ranking. They were in there in the second or third week of the season, got beaten by South Lion, have been out of those rankings since then, but I imagine beating your one only uh, opponent that beat you and uh, taking them down, I think that might give you a case for popping back into those rankings. Um, I'm sure there's uh, quite a few more. It seems like there's been uh, news and news and news every single day. Obviously, nationally in the women's game, dealing with the fallout from a a big report, the Sally Yates investigation, finding lots of bad actors and systemic abuse of women's soccer players. Uh, across the board. 
Uh, and unfortunately, I had to ask one of our uh, guests this week about that. We've got Grand Valley State University's head coach, first year head coach, Katie Houtine, about that. Her team, the Grand Valley State University women's side, is in the midst of a six-game winning streak, 8-1-2, and two, uh, in her first year at the helm after being assistant at University of Michigan for four years. She steps into the program on back-to-back uh, national championships in Division II and uh, looks to be picking up where her predecessors left off. Great interview. We talk about some great stuff, her history, uh, the tradition at Grand Valley, and also on the serious topics of the week. And then in our second interview, I've got uh, Michigan Soccer Central's very own Steve Corcoran, our west side of the state correspondent and core team member. He had a busy week. He went to the final edition of the Soccer Rebellion. If you might recall, earlier on in the summer, we had Michael Dublis, the founder of the Soccer Rebellion, before their Detroit stop on the Soccer Rebellion tour, the takeover tour, sorry. And uh, kind of that competition had its final stop, its finale. And uh, we had a Michigan team win it all. So listen to Steve Corcoran break that weekend down. It sounded like a great event and something that I enjoy greatly. So stay tuned for interviews with Coach Katie Houtine, as well as Steve Corcoran here on the Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. Welcome back, listeners, here on the Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. In our next segment, we turn our attention to the women's college game. And a coach in her first year at the helm of a very successful program has gotten off on the right foot. I would like to welcome Mitch, uh, Coach Katie Holtine to the program. Thank you for joining Michigan Soccer Central, Coach. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, like I said, first year at the head of Grand Valley, coming in uh, to a program uh, on the back of back-to-back championships in 19 and 21. I guess I just wanted to say, uh, how was the pressure level stepping into a situation like that? <laughs> um, I I would say, you know, I, I was a former goalkeeper, so I, I like pressure. I enjoy pressure. Um, and, you know, I knew... I. I took over this program because of the history and their ability to win championships. I really enjoy that challenge. So uh, I'd say it's been good so far. Uh, We've got a really, really young group. um, So we've got a lot of growing to do, but it's been great. Yes. uh, For those listeners who are unaware, Grand Valley State University women's have seven national titles uh, that lead the way uh, the record set by them. Uh, uh, in Division Two, so um, you know, really, uh, the the high as it gets at that level of the game. Uh, you came over from being a assistant at uh, U of M for four years, and we'll kind of get into your backstory a little bit. But I want to ask you your your side has uh, come off to a hot start: eight wins, one loss, two draws, um, undefeated in uh, the GLIAC. Um, you just had a uh, 5-1 win over the weekend. Can I tell us about uh, your most recent victory? 
Yeah, it was against Davenport, um, sort of a, a local rival, I guess. They're right across town. So um, Davenport's done well this season, um, kind of have a lot of ties, but they haven't conceded um, many goals at all. They haven't lost by more than one. So we knew it was going to be a challenge, but uh, clearly up to the task with five five goals in. We, we were able to play everyone, which is always great to get everyone some minutes too. Yeah, and you said you had a young group, and one of my questions I was going to ask in a moment is, uh, recent uh, national championships, how many players uh, in your roster now carry over from those? Not many. I think we have eight total returners um, from years past. So, and only a few are, are playing. So you've got, you've got a lot of young faces on the, on the field. We have, we have more than eight returners. Sorry. We have eight upperclassmen. So juniors and seniors. Okay, so so it sounds like a, a decent mix. It's not a whole class full of freshmen. And not, it's not loaded uh, with, with seniors by any means, it sounds like. So when you stepped into the job, um, I guess, when was it when you were first able to get in front of your players? And then what was your immediate impression? Um, I actually, we actually got to work with them this summer, um, at a, one of our summer camps. So that was my first time really getting to know them. And, um, and then in August we got them for preseason. So I would say they are, we've got 28 of them and they're really special people. Um, incredibly hardworking, gritty, determined, but, um, you know, on the other side of it, they're, they're very compassionate, caring, um, and very proud people as well. So I've really enjoyed working with, with each and every one of them. And, uh, like I said, it's gotten off on the right foot. You said, uh, you, part of the reason you took the job was the pressure. Um, was there any moments there was early, uh, in the first couple weeks of the season, you did go three without a win. Was there a little bit of nerves creep in or was that just a, a sticky part of the situation? How'd that go? I think we needed those moments. We needed those games to really help us grow. Um, as I said, super young. So we needed those moments to grow. I don't think that, that we can go an entire season without a loss. I think that's almost impossible. So we needed it. We needed it to help us, you know, kind of regroup, grow, maybe humble us a little bit as well. Um, so I, I wasn't nervous at all. I knew that we were going to continue to get better and grow from it. And then uh, ever since that, uh, that that three games without a victory, you've gone on to then get six wins in a row. Um, how were you able to, to string those together? Uh, I think the commitment to consistent growth. Uh, every day we're getting on the field, we're trying to learn. I'll, I'll say when we do film with the players, like there's, you know, 50 questions asked every time. They're all wanting to learn and get better every day game and every practice. So I think that's how we're continuing to, to show up and get results on a weekly basis is their, their commitment to growth. And then what, what is um, the strengths of the team? Are, are you guys a very forward, like a uh, aggressive uh, goal scoring team? Are you, uh, you know, uh, you know, compact defensive and take your moments? So what, what does a, a GVSU uh, side look like? We lost a lot of goal scorers. A lot of goal scorers graduated. We still have a couple left, um, and we're we're, you know, creating more goal scorers. I would say if you were to talk about our style, it's very very possession oriented. Um, we keep the ball, maybe sometimes to a fault. We find our moments to go forward, um, but also 
we try to be very collective and disciplined defensively so that we can press higher up the field and, and stay in the, the attacking half as much as we can. And then um, kind of looking forward, uh, what do you think are some of the, the biggest challenges that you uh, your side's going to face? Is it kind of challenges within yourself or is there some opponents or what, what do you think are some of the biggest hurdles that uh, you're going to see here in the, 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 I guess, second half of the season? Yeah. Yeah, so the GLIAC, we have to play every team twice. And I think the second time around is going to be tough. Uh, it's hard to beat the same team twice. Um, so I think that's going to be our biggest challenge. We just played Northern Michigan and Michigan Tech two weekends ago, and we have to go back go back and play them again this weekend. So those are going to be the hard – I think every game is going to be hard from here on out. Just trying to outsmart our opponent who is going to try to outsmart us um, and outplay them when they're really trying to come for some revenge. I don't know if I said this at the top, but uh, you uh, hail originally from uh, Denver, Colorado, but you spend the last few years here in the Great Lakes State. Uh, what what can you say about like the, the Michigan soccer scene in general from your time here? You know, ever since I've been in the college game many, many years ago, I've always known that the Michigan landscape has some soccer landscape has some really good players have always produced great players. Um, and being here, it, it, it certainly does. You've got some really good clubs, um, you know, ECNL GA clubs, and then you've got some other national league clubs that also produce some really talented players. And, um, so being able to pull from all of those clubs is, is awesome. And we get to stay pretty local here at Grand Valley when we're recruiting, we get to stay, you know, not only, um, within the state, but we've got some good talent on the West side of the state as well. So that that's, um, you know, we can't complain about that. Coming from Michigan and division one. Now you're at the top in division two. Um, what differences are there in the level of play other than like the, the divisioning? Good question. I would say, you know, being at the university of Michigan, those, those are some pretty elite players. Last year we made it to the elite eight. Um, you know, we're competing with Florida state in the elite eight. Uh, we had some elite players and I think what separates, um, maybe that level from where grand Valley is, is maybe a little bit of athleticism, um, in the individuals, but overall, there's not that big of a difference between the top of division two and division one. I, I think, you know, maybe you're, you know, one through 30 players on a top division one team are all just a little bit more athletic than maybe your bottom half of division two um, players on a roster. But for the most part, there's not that much of a difference right now. Yeah. I, I, I was going to, cause I'm curious is like, is it just situational? Do, do you think it directly shakes out where the truly the best go to one place and then the next level go to the next one? Or is it kind of no. situational? I think it's situational. I think um, for us, we're able to get some really good players because they want to win a national championship. You can't go to any division one school and win a national championship. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, you have to go to kind of a, you know, that top like echelon of schools to try to win a national championship in division one. And, you know, there's some players that just, that they love to win and this is a great place for them. So I think it's a little bit different um, 
I think we can get a lot of really great players just because they're really competitive and they want to win. And then there's some players that just want to stay close to home. And there's also players that love Grand Valley because it is a really beautiful university. Yeah, speaking of beautiful, you're heading up north uh, at the weekend to take on the two uh, Northern Michigan, Michigan Tech. A uh, heck of a time to do it. I'm sure the leaves are all changing up there. Have you been up to the UP before? No, this will be my first trip, and I can't wait. It's supposed to be beautiful. The weather is going to completely change, though, on Friday, so I'm a little nervous about that. But um, we're really excited for our trip up there. Winter is coming? <laughs> Winter's coming. It's going to be like 35 degrees at game time. Oh, it changes on you quick. You get a couple good weeks of of fall. Um, one thing we're talking, going back to like the Michigan soccer scene in general, do you think that uh, here in Michigan having uh, the girls' high school season be in the spring, and that's not the case in many states, do you think that has any impact on the way the game's played or recruiting or anything like that? I don't think so. Um, traditionally, we haven't recruited much out of high school soccer. Um, I think now I will maybe a little bit more at Grand Valley. Um, the hard, the one hard part is that in the fall, it's a little bit harder to see some some club games um, just because we're in season. But no, I don't think there's much. It doesn't impact the recruiting scene that much that high school's in the spring versus the fall. For me, at least, it doesn't impact. Do you think it makes it just difficult for the players in general, having it be different than it's not like aligned nationally? Yeah, probably on the club scene when it comes to, you know, the national events and certain club events, I would say it definitely impacts them. I mean, you've got, you know, some events going on in the spring and the fall. However, the big club or the big leagues like ECNL and GA, they've got events that go on throughout the year. So you just don't go to the ones that are going on during high school soccer. So they're, they're, they're working it out. I think the, the big leagues are working it out in terms of when high, you know, just making sure that everyone has an option to go to depending on their high school season. And then unfortunately, uh, kind of have to ask just with, uh, what's going on nationally, uh, in the world of, uh, American women's soccer, um, Obviously, terrible uh, report came out yesterday about uh, some seemingly systemic issues going on in the women's uh, soccer world. Uh, is there anything that you, you've seen in the past that's trended one way or another or any personal examples of the things that were cited in that Sally Yates investigation? I think that uh, this this was a long time coming and it should have come out years ago um not just on the professional scene but the club scene and we all saw it everyone saw the sort of abuse to youth players just verbal and emotional abuse to youth players in the club scene and um i'm just grateful that something's been done so far i mean i don't, i guess i can't say anything's been done yet but at least it's been exposed and um it just it needs to be better from from the youth all the way up through the pros, it needs to be better. Um, collegiately, you name it. So I think everyone deserves to be treated well and no one should be taken advantage of in any way, shape or form. And no one should be abused verbally, emotionally, all of that. So um, I think it needs to be better. And I hope that this is the beginning. Yeah, it, it's really an unfortunate topic, but it seems like it was one of those things like hiding in plain sight sort of thing. And 
it's it's good that uh, it, it is getting some uh, ink on the pages and 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 some reporting. And one of my first uh, posts in soccer was covering the Chicago Red Stars, and one of the the coaches in question was there. And you did hear people and fans, and sometimes if you had your ears open, you could hear people complaining of it. But at the same time. It's tricky because, you know, a coach has to make a lot of decisions that have impact on other people's lives. So there's always going to be some people happy and some people upset. So uh, for those on the outside, how would they parse through those uh, complaints that are from upset players and then the abuse? Like, how do you parse through between those? I don't know. I I think you have to listen to the players. I mean, there's going to be there's going to be players that are upset about playing time and, you know, silly stuff like that. But when you're talking about abuse, like you have to, I mean, at, at that point you have to listen and you have to act. Um, abuse is much different than, than minutes on the field. Abuse is much different than, you know, like, oh, he sat me out during this game. It's, you know, verbal and emotional and even sexual abuse. Those things need to be heard and listened to and, and investigated immediately. And I think that's where, um, the NWSL and even U.S. Soccer just they missed the boat on that, and that's unfortunate because there's a lot. It just didn't stop; it kept going, and a lot of it was the power play that a lot of these coaches pulled. Um, and and they were in positions of power, and it was hard to for any player to deal with that. It does seem in the in the last few years, you know, outside of soccer itself, almost people in any kind of a uh, position of power, there's those that that abuse it in, in all facets of, of life, unfortunately. But um, turning back to, to more fun things and on-the-field things, um, obviously uh, your Grand Valley is uh, at the top being a back-to-back national champions. Are there any other programs in that league that are surging that um, the ones to watch out for, do you think? You know, I think Dallas Baptist has done really well so far this season. Um, I think you're going to always see like uh, Central Missouri, Minnesota State. Those guys are are uh, pretty strong. I'm still learning the Division Two landscape, to be honest. So um, kind of learning about all these schools that I, I didn't know about prior to this. So, you know, we got to play uh, Central Missouri and Minnesota State at the beginning of the season. Uh, so kind of have a good idea of how they play and and they're pretty good. I, I would definitely um, watch out for them going forward. And then, kind of, you uh, you said you're a goalkeeper and you played at a high level in Colorado. Um, what could you say about uh, not only the women's game, uh, but uh, uh, in general, like where have things come from where you are in your position from when you were a player, just like on the field? Yeah, I mean, I uh, when I played in college, I played over at Washington State University when it when they played in the Pac-10, it's now the Pac-12, um, and soccer itself, women's soccer itself, has just gotten better and better. A lot of it is just we're athletically evolving, right? We're more athletic, but also a lot more technical um, and tactically savvy. Uh, in terms of, you know, everything else, when I got out of college, the the first pro women's pro league in the States had just folded. The, the WUSA had just folded. Um, and that was sad. That was really sad because there really was nowhere for, for us to play except for the summer leagues. So um, that was really unfortunate. And then the WPS started, the second women's league, 
um, which I got to, you know, dabble in for a little bit. And it too was great, but again, not, not enough investment in it. Um, and again, we were kind of all homeless after that. Um, but now that the NWSL is here, um, and it's been here for a long time with some decent investors and some really good fans and the, just the women's game itself is evolving in our country. Um, you know, the, it just looks, the outlook looks a lot better. Now we just need to fix the, the underlying abuse sort of stuff that's coming out. But, um, overall, like it has grown, the game has grown so much and the understanding of the women's game has grown so much in the States, um, it's been fun to watch that evolution, not only here in the States, but I mean, all around the world, they're, they're catching up to the U S and they're very, very good all around the world. I mean, look over overseas and they've got 90,000 fans at their women's games now. And that is, that is spectacular. That, that excites me. Um, and makes me proud to be a, a, a coach of the women's game. Yeah. So, so, so d- despite all the, the, the unpleasantness, you do feel that the, the women's game is, is going in the right direction. I think we need to fix the, the, the stuff that just came up, but the game itself is going in the right direction. I mean, we are playing some really great soccer, um, all over the world. Uh, there's some really good coaches out there, right? There's some, there's some not so good ones, but the, the great ones are doing a really good job and, um, you know, the, the soccer, it's beautiful to watch. And, um, the women's game itself tactically and just athletically is just becoming better and better every year. Exciting times, exciting times. I, uh, can't wait for the day when, uh, this area has a professional women's team that, uh, we can all get behind. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the future is bright. I mean, uh, I mean, the fact that there's becoming, uh, they're building stadiums for it, and uh, there's more and more interest in it. It, it is very exciting, and uh, the the summer um, semi-pro uh, summer leagues are are starting to become popular, as in the men's. Like, obviously, I'm not sure how much uh, you get to, to see it, but uh, the summer leagues are uh, plentiful around here, and uh, yeah, lots of players on the men's and women's get to play. Uh, year round. Uh, do you, do you spend the summers here or do you go back home or how do your summers No, work? we're here. We're here. We live here. And, and I, uh, you know, we spend a lot of our summer now, like recruiting is a big thing in the summer. Uh, summer camps are a big thing in the summer. So we're, we're here. I live, um, just outside of Grand Rapids and we moved our family here. Um, so yeah, we, we move wherever, wherever my coaching job is, we, we are. And then how much in the recruiting process, how much do those summer leagues, do the, the, the college coaches watch those like USLW and uh, UWS games? Um, there aren't a whole lot of like high school players in those. Um, I like to watch them because usually we have current players playing in them. Um, Kendall Robertson played for Ann Arbor FC this last summer. So I even stopped in at one of her games. A couple of our University of Michigan players were playing for them as well. Corktown had several players um, playing on it from both Michigan and I think Grand Valley had a couple players as well. So I'll watch it just to just to see our players playing against and with some very good talent. I mean, Ann Arbor FC had a bunch of internationals playing with them and they were very good. Yeah, they're impressive on uh, on both the women and the men's side. But uh, thank you, uh, Coach uh, Katie Holtine. I really appreciate the time. 
and all the best in the remainder of your first season at the helm of Grand Valley State University. And thank you so much for spending so much time with the Michigan Soccer Central podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And good luck uh, in the north. Hopefully the the winter doesn't uh, come too fast for you. I hope so, too. to Michigan Soccer Central. This next segment, we are going to catch up with Michigan Soccer Central core team member and West Side of the State correspondent, Mr. Steve Corcoran. You've had a busy weekend. Thank you for uh, coming to tell us about it. Thanks so much for having me, Robert. Excited. Uh, So a little bit of a correlation. Uh, You gave us the heads up on Grand Valley State University's great hot start, and you checked out a game of theirs uh, a couple weeks ago, but this past weekend, you were on the road. Tell us about uh, what you did this past weekend, sir. Yeah, so this past weekend, I uh, traveled to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, to uh, Dick Sporting Goods House of Sport uh, with the Soccer Rebellion, which is a uh, local, to me, on the west side of Michigan, um, event organizer, uh, tournaments, youth clinics, the works. Uh, so uh, the Soccer Rebellion took their takeover tour, which is this is one of the, really the culmination of many stops around the country that, that they've done to uh, bring um, street style style soccer tournaments to local communities. Uh, and uh, uh, in partnership with uh, Nike, actually, and Dick's Sporting Goods, we're able to travel down to Dick's uh, House of Sport. Uh, which is a really cool sports complex down in Knoxville to host their championships. So 16 teams went down from uh, Michigan all the way to Tennessee, Philadelphia, uh, Chicago, uh, Milwaukee even. Um, Teams came from all over the place to play some really good soccer uh, at a super cool facility. Uh, Was really lucky to be a part of that. Yeah, we had uh, the Soccer Rebellion uh founder Michael Dublis on the show in the summer and uh, uh, myself and Dan Garnell went and checked it out and had uh, a really good time. It was uh, kind of like the and one, a street ball version of soccer, really fun. Uh, Michael's on the mic kind of commentating. There's no referees. It's a small sided ball, kind of just like almost like pickup, but a, a very high level of pickup soccer. There was a uh, Lots of uh, Michigan teams and uh, inter Detroit won the one here in Detroit. But this past weekend, you were, like you said, at the culmination of it. And they were they're playing for a bit of a, a, a prize purse, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there were five thousand dollars at stake, uh, which uh, actually went home with uh, one of the two Grand Rapids teams that traveled down there. R1s, uh, they play as Ole FC up here in Grand Rapids. Uh, but. Um, yeah, there were four Michigan teams in total, two from Grand Rapids and two from the Detroit area. Uh, you mentioned Inter Detroit. They were down there, uh, as well as uh, uh, Detroit Ballers, who participated in the Detroit Takeover Tour event, uh, Chill FC, and again, R1s uh, from Grand Rapids. 
Uh, so really good turnout from Michigan. Yeah, four teams from Michigan um, made it to the the, the final event. Uh, and there were 16 teams total. So uh, um, tell us about the, the weekend as a whole. Yeah, so it was actually um, quite a bit bigger than just the men's tournament. Uh, we did two days of events. On Friday, uh, I went down in a carpool with some of the other event staff, and we left at 5 in the morning to get there by the afternoon uh, to put on a youth clinic, uh, which involved mostly kids from around the area in Knoxville, uh, some really good youth players, uh, I think as young as 5 or 6 years old, up to maybe U12, U13. I'd have to double check that, but we had a good little range of kids there and some of the men's and uh, women's players that participated in the adult competitions uh, helped out with the clinic to show off uh, their skills, get the kids involved, uh, show them a more freestyle playground style of play. Uh, it was pretty interesting on Friday uh, that these young kids were uh, looking for refs and um, already um, indoctrinated, I guess, into the very structured uh, style of play that we see in like organized soccer. Uh, but by the end of the clinic, they're uh, all showing off individually. They're learning how to call their own fouls and uh, just get a little scrappy with it. Uh, I think they had a lot of fun with that. Uh, Saturday morning, we kicked off with a, uh, uh, a women's showcase, uh, which was kind of a queen of the court style. Um, the, uh, uh, it was three on three, three V three style. And, uh, the team with the most wins after about an hour and a half, uh, went home with, uh, some Nike merch. Again, they were sponsoring the event in part. So. Uh, that was pretty cool to see some high-level play from women. Uh, some of them came from uh, the University of Tennessee. Um, and then we capped it off on Saturday night with the men's tournament. Again, 16 teams. Uh, there were uh, start off with the group stage, and then after that, um, as they were divided into four groups, one the top team from each group went into the semifinals. Uh, I mentioned four teams from Michigan participated. Three of them went to the semifinals. Uh, so uh, that was Inter Detroit, uh, R1s, and Chill FC. Uh, so the only team from Michigan that didn't make it was Detroit Ballers. Uh, but they were really close. There was a three-way tie in their group, and they didn't make the cut on goal differential. Uh, would have been wild to have all four Michigan teams in the semifinals, but... Just wasn't meant to be. Uh, R1s came out on top. Uh, super, super high level of play. Um, again, these were mostly champs from all of the other city tours. Uh, so, yeah, again, crazy high level play. It was so engaging. Uh, these guys are showing off everything they got. Um, R1s were incredible to watch, as was really every team. And it was just a great, rowdy, fun experience. That sounds like a whole lot of fun. Three out of the four teams that made it to the semis from Michigan. So they're beating out teams from New York and Philadelphia and all that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't actually make it to the uh, Chicago uh, showcase, but I understand that Chill FC from Grand Rapids traveled to that and won in Chicago as well. So uh, they were in the final against R1s uh, down in Knoxville. 
uh, and didn't come out on top there. But yeah, these Michigan teams are competing with the best from around the country. Very cool. Very cool. So um, two full days of action there. Uh, what would you say was like uh, one of your main takeaways or one of the things that uh, you enjoyed seeing the most? Was there some some crazy goals or just general run of play or just being in kind of a unorganized, not necessarily unorganized, but not necessarily, uh, you know, f- structured sanitary sort of situation. Yeah. Um, I'll start by mentioning the uniqueness of this kind of event. Uh, I really don't think we're seeing this kind of play anywhere else where you got to govern your own game. Uh, it gets really physical, but it's, uh, player oriented, uh, really driving at the idea of uh, individual play, um, showing off. Uh, I I don't even know how to describe it. There's uh, we had a DJ there. The crowd was super hype. Uh, we did the men's tournament into the night. Uh, so when the sun went down, everything changed. It was just a really cool atmosphere. Um, you talk about and one. Um, I think that's a great comparison um, and uh, a new look for American soccer. Uh, I think that this event was super successful uh, and I wasn't part of the core planning and uh, execution team. I kind of was a, a bit of a, a late ad, you might say, and uh, I got to experience a lot of this for the first time where I wasn't really in on the decision making, but it was super cool still to see it play out. Uh, and I would love to see how what this turns into uh, next year, which they're already in the talks for. Uh, as far as individual moments, we had one of the like cleanest bicycle kick goals from Detroit Ballers. I forget the guy's name. It was in the last game of the group stage and just uh, sailed it over the keeper. It was crazy. I was courtside for that. Um, just an unbelievable single moment, if you're looking for that, too. If you had a hype crowd, I'm sure uh, a wicked bicycle kick would bring the house down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if you're on Instagram or Twitter, go check out uh, the Soccer Rebellion at the Soccer Rebellion. Uh, they've been playing that clip on repeat, so uh, it's it's up there for you to watch. I'll definitely have to check that out. Uh, I wonder if it was the same DJ, but the DJ and the Detroit uh, stop of the tour was awesome. So I imagine uh, it was likewise for the final event. Uh, you know, combining, you know, having music and uh, the game and and just like in, in a fun environment that's like right up my alley for sure. And I'm glad to hear you're saying it was a, a successful event and uh, well attended. Um, so there is plans for, for, for more, you're saying? Yeah. Yep. The plan is to run it back next year, uh, uh, hoping that it'll be even bigger than it was this year. Um, which is a tall task for sure. Um, and uh, you'll probably have to ask uh, Michael, the head honcho, uh, more about that to get get the scoop. But um, yeah, really looking forward to that. I owe Michael an email because one of the things that we talked about, well, he was saying that the, I think it was the Chicago stop that uh, with the Nike sponsorship, they got uh, some apparel 
and he told me that they that they were some kits that were supposed to be the the USA World Cup kits, and he was like, "Don't worry, it's not the lame ones that you've seen in the links." So I'm gonna have to give him a little bit of uh, some email, some all caps, like, "What were the shirts that you saw?" Because uh, I saw the late the ones that came out are pretty lame, and you you definitely told me that those were the ones that uh, you saw in Chicago were were cool, and I don't know. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because. Uh... Uh, Michael defends the uh, the final cut, the final release of kits. Oh, so it must um, have been those then. Well, I don't actually know because uh, he, I, I recall him saying too that these weren't the kits he saw. So oh. I haven't confronted him about it, but you'll have to let me know how that goes. Yeah, I'll have to give him all caps. You promised me cool kits. That's right. Yeah, they um they modeled the kits. Uh, Nike did. They were pretty had a pretty big presence, and they were huge in uh game presentation or just event presentation in general uh down there they did everything from signage to like a custom t-shirt printing truck um they had a booth where you could send um handwritten notes to u.s men's national team players uh that they're actually going to see at some point um i know i wrote one and they modeled the kits uh and I will say that they look a little better in person. I'm still not a fan, but uh, better than those first uh, renditions that we saw online. So we'll see. It, it might grow on us. Might grow on me, at least. <laughs> we'll see. It's the neckline thing that, that gets me the most. That's just an odyssey. Yeah. But um, otherwise, it sounds like a great event, a great weekend. And I hope uh, we see more of that and it becomes a bigger thing and just you know, picking up a ball and playing on the street. I hope that that becomes more of a thing in general. And that definitely seems what uh, the soccer rebellion is all about is, you know, not necessarily having to play like Saturday at 10 a.m. with your team, you know, with the jerseys and playing with the referees and all that. And it can be spontaneous and creative and fun. Uh, that being said, some other West side of Michigan uh, uh, soccer stuff, uh, you pointed us in the direction of Grand Valley State uh, University's uh, success under their new coach, and you went and saw them play uh, a couple weeks back. I was just wanted to hear a little bit of what you saw uh, when you visited uh, one of those games. Yeah, I uh, I snagged a media pass uh, for Michigan Soccer Central. Uh, shout out communications department uh, <laughs> for Grand Valley for letting me. Uh, hug the sidelines and really have uh, good free reign. But yeah, a couple weeks ago, I watched uh, Grand Valley women play against their uh, conference rivals, Northern Michigan University, the Wildcats, who uh, they were actually behind the Wildcats at the time at the top of the Geliac table. Uh, and uh, with a like a last second comeback win, uh, two to one over the Wildcats, they leapfrogged them to the top of the table. Uh, they've been there ever since. They played a couple games. I believe it was Michigan Tech and uh, Davenport, uh, which they've uh, yeah they pulled out victories against both those teams as well. Mm -hmm. So they're sitting comfortably at the top of the table, about halfway through the league season. And so that that's a a, a fun game to go to a last second winner to uh, take the top of the table. Um, what did you see from their style of play? Did they look like they were the stronger team or pretty neck and neck? Like, what, what did they look like their strengths were at that time? 
I think they were the stronger team. Uh, they did benefit uh, from a red card for the uh, Wildcats in the first half, uh, which did really hinder the Wildcats' ability to uh, crawl back or, well, actually hang on to that 1-1 that scoreline. Uh, but I do have to give props to the Wildcats uh, NMU uh, for holding on as long as they did with 10 players because Grand Valley has great chemistry. Um, they're very fluid. Um, it, they seem like they've been playing together for years, even though a lot of them haven't. I, I think they had a, a quite a few players graduate from their national championship winning season last year. So uh, it's not exactly like a fully new look roster, but there are some new faces. Um, and uh, they just seem to mesh well together. Um, they really look like a team, and they were the stronger side at the end of the day. Yes, uh, Grand Valley State University women's head north to play that very same uh, Wildcats side this weekend. So it'll be an interesting contest up there. So you've checked that out. And uh, just recently, like you said, the Michigan, um, the... Uh, Soccer Rebellion, you did that in Knoxville. Any other stories or anything else you're following up next for us? Yeah, I regret not having uh, watched uh, the uh, Calvin University women's uh, soccer team play in person yet because they have an 11-0 record uh, this season. They are absolutely rolling over everyone, uh, both in non-conference and in conference play. Uh, and they have allowed zero goals in 11 games. So they're like a pure dominant team. Uh, I'm not as familiar with their like non-conference opponents, which are coming from around the country. Uh, so I can't speak to the level to play at this moment, but I mean, against any collegiate program uh, to have that kind of record and uh, to, I, I don't know, keep be keeping the ball out of your net. Uh, 100% uh, through 11 games is like a ridiculous stat. So um, they're a, a good one to watch for sure. Yeah, good shout there. Definitely uh, thanks for putting uh, Calvin on the radar. That is uh, quite a feat indeed. So between your reporting on the Soccer Rebellion uh, and uh, those West Side teams, thank you so much for the info and uh, thank you for stopping by the show. And I'm looking forward to the next thing you bring to the Michigan soccer central. And thank you for uh, spending your uh, time with us here on the podcast, Steve. Absolutely. Thanks Robert. Thank you listener for making it all the way through this week's edition of the Michigan soccer central podcast. Thank you to my guest coach Katie Hultine. And uh, good luck to her as they travel to the northernmost reaches of Michigan to play Michigan Tech and Northern Michigan this weekend. And thank you to Steve Corcoran for giving us the lowdown on the final weekend of the Soccer Rebellion. And listener, if you want to check out over a year's worth of weekly episodes, please feel free to scroll through the Spotify playlist. And if you want to keep up to date on even more news and updates, check out at MI Soccer Central on all social media platforms. Also, congratulations one more time to the Wald Lake Northern Knights for being this week's Michigan Soccer Central. We are Soccer Team of the Week. 
Thank you to Jenny Hajnaki for editing the program once more. And thank you to the Michigan Soccer Central Court team for helping me put this program together. So, until next time, enjoy your soccer. Hey, 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 hey.